Count off, bro. Three, two, one. My brother Brandon, he's got depression. This is the story why he my brother Carson on bass guitar and he is a funny guy. Carson! Carson! Unmissing person happened to my bro. Unmissing person. That's the name of our show. Did you even rehearse that? Didn't rehearse. We do it live every time. Every time. We are not even... I don't even call us amateur musicians. <laughs> no. But we have the most musical intro. Because brothers, you know, we're brothers. I am... No, you go first. This is your show. Welcome to another episode of Radio Brendo Man. I'm Brendan Creasy. And I'm Carson Crashley the Fourth. We are brothers. We are of relations. Uh, I uh, combine my name with my wife's name um, to distance myself from the family name. I came up with it. Long name. Oh, that's right. Brendan made up the name. And here we are. So are you going to become a Crashly? That'd be weird. Why? You made up the name. I got it. Someone's got to keep the creasy... Oh, and it's you? Yeah, it's me. That's right. We we determined you're the... The last of the creasies. You're the Chinguch cook. See, I could have said Daniel Day-Lewis, but he was not a Mohican. Chinguch Cook is the last of the Mohicans. Right? Right. Right. I'm glad we got that covered. Anyway, what chapter is this? This is chapter 7 of our limited series. And chapter 7 is... Unmissing Person. Willennium Depression. That's right. Millennium Depression. Before we jump into that, we gotta do a one sentence recap of chapter six. Home Alone. You were gone, so I answered questions from people that submitted them via email and Facebook. And then you called me when I was in the middle of the desert. And you were kind of buzzed. And I urinated. <laughs> I have a long history of urinating where I'm not supposed to. It all started with being raised on the farm, but I got in trouble. At, what was it, United Methodist Preschool? Remember, that was our one of our preschools. Were you? Was it, were you yeah, or was it I went to that so preschool. It was like that back fence. And after being a free-range pissa, little pissa on the farm, went back to preschool and it was like recess, had to do a little tinkle. And was like, well, hey, I've been peeing in the Creasy Farm estate for all summer. I'm just going to go find a quiet spot at the back of the fence of the playground and, um, you know, take care of business. Preschool teachers were not a fan of little little Creasy's decision to do so. You in trouble? Yeah. Can't let those kids pee anywhere. They didn't have a Walt Disney policy. Remember what famous Walt Disney quote on the opening day of the park he had? Let them pee. God bless them. Let them pee. That is Disney himself, the anti-Semite. I don't think that's proven anywhere he was an anti-Semite. I don't know. Rich, powerful white dude in that era probably came with the territory. You think so? 
Yeah. I don't know. Who am I to judge? Raul Dahl was an anti-Semite. Well, there you go. He said so himself. He said a lot of bad stuff. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion about that. Anyway, we've got off topic here. This is this is the Millennium Depression. So for this ep, we're just going back to you know because you know depression. That's what we're exploring here in this limited series. But it's kind of a thing that you've lived with your entire life, a life that includes <coughs> celebrating Y2K. But that was just a, that was a huge critical moment because it's like. Specifically, you know, 99 to 2000 is what, like your end of first year of college? That was my going into my second year of college. Going into your second year of college. I'm graduating high school, you know. You were like a bad boy. I was a bad boy. You know, you'd into your bad boy phase. Oh, you were like, boy phase. you went from like being like a f- honor student to like. I was still an honor student. I just, you know. I, although I, I did have I did have the grades, but it was one of those like I remember there was one of them, whether it was the California Scholarship Federation or National Honor Society. They're like, yeah, you got good grades, but we can't let you into the we can't give you this honor because you took uh, English, cooking, two free periods, drama, child development, and that is not an honors curriculum. <laughs> But I aced all those classes, especially the free periods. Yeah, and you would get into trouble, and then you would... The way you'd get out of trouble... I was cashing in all those Bible studies I led, and all those, uh, you know, mission trips to Mexico, serving, uh, you know, colonialism in the name of Jesus. You know, I was cashing it in. But you would get in trouble, and then you'd, like tell mom something that I did. So I'd get this call from mom. I'd be Are at college. Snitch, bro? I'd be at college and my mom would be like, Benedict Carson Andrews said that you smoke pot at this thing and you did this. <laughs> I was a little shit. To get the heat off of you. But it only worked for so long. You ran out of things. Yeah, because you, you were a saint, right, Brendo? Compared to you. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was... Yeah, I had a car. I turned 18 that year. For the last half of my senior year, I had a fake ID. And you could do that thing where if you're 18 and your parents sign it, you could sign yourself out of class. You could be like, instead of having your parents sign off... You got mom to sign that? Oh, yeah. It was only for like two months. But I didn't get a lot done in those two months at school. Graduated. Graduated. But I remember uh, I was a... This is very important, because 1999 specifically, one of the finest years in cinema of my lifetime. It's ridiculous. I'd say 89 is better, but 99's right there. You're crazy, dude. You're crazy. But not only was it... Well, maybe this is a difference for me, is in 1989... You know, we were movie junkies, VHS junkies, but in 99, I thought I was a part of the movie business, because I worked mm-hmm. at Edward Cinema, and by the end of my tenure there, I was a projectionist at the Del Mar Highlands 
shout out, call back to the famous den of teenage sin of our youth, the Delmore Highlands. But the epicenter of the Highlands was the movie theater. And, you know, working there, eh, but I was the projectionist. So, like, I would hang out on the roof and have, like, smoke breaks between, like, starts and look down on all the model rats. That's that's why I got the most Highlands points was being a projectionist. I mean, it was great. I mean, gosh. And I saw, like, wasn't just... I didn't just see the movies that came to the Highlands. I was one of the few employees... They would cash in the employee benefit at other Edwards. Yeah, I remember we we went and saw Eyes Wide Shut somewhere. Saw Eyes Wide Shut, like in San Marcos. We had to go, go hunt for that one. I remember we had to go to um, to Hillcrest to watch Boys Don't Cry. Oh yeah, I went, yeah, we went there. I remember that. We went and saw that with Mark. Yeah, it was hard to get Mark wrangled in uh, to a movie. His attention span. He would, like, <laughs> he would take like three breaks in the middle of the movie just to. A lot of energy in that one. But, yeah, I mean, great year in cinema. Great year for Will Smith. I mean, Wild Wild West. That wasn't, didn't do so great. But, I mean... We saw that in New Mexico with Jeremy, remember? Did we? Yeah. That was our grandparents' 50th anniversary. That summer, summer 99... That was the summer that we got mom out to New Mexico. Yeah, not to the farm, though. No, not quite there. But we were in, where were we, like... I don't know. Red River. Red River. So, yeah, we saw... And, I mean, when I think of Wild Wild West... <laughs> yes, the movie, I think of that Kevin Smith anecdote about the producer that was like, we gotta get... <laughs> giant Spider. Giant Spider in a blockbuster. And he tried with Superman succeeded with Wild Wild West but man I mean I loved the um the synergy between like blockbusters and like MTV specifically because that Wild Wild West was probably a VMA performance yeah can you with it had with Stevie Smith, Wonder Stevie Wonder DJ Jazzy Jeff Cisco they brought a Cisco I, I love that about Wild Wild West I also love Gary Oldman in a Tarantula uh, Bottoms. He was like a centaur, but he was a... It wasn't Gary Oldman. Who, who was the bad guy? I was a... What's his face? The director guy. Oh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. They probably couldn't afford Oldman. I'm thinking of um, Fifth Element. I think Oldman would have been a great bad guy. I'm glad his name wasn't besmirched. But, but I mean, that VMA performance was legendary. The VMAs used to be legendary. They still do it, and it's so sad because it's like no one cares. It's not that what it was. No. Well, because mu- people music videos, I mean, like they go viral sometimes on the internet, but other than that, when are you watching music videos? Uh, when you want to hear a song from your youth, and you're like, oh, I can find it by YouTube hit. Yeah. And I'll have pretty pictures come along for the ride. Yeah, I, uh, so in 99, I was going, I, I had left Biola, ran... You left the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Because ran short of money, and, uh, and scholarships ran out. Giant foam checks don't fall your way <laughs> from former NFL players every, every year of college. Yeah, and, uh, and... 
So I was um, at Palomar College and on my own living at the Kelfords because you guys, it was like a little apartment with you and mom. So me in there, it was kind of a little too crowded. That must have been emotionally rough because it's like kind of wanted to go back home, but you really couldn't because there wasn't room anymore. No, can't go back home. So I was living at um, this family that um, was a friend from school, but he was off at Berkeley. That's right. And uh, so I stayed in, I lived in his room. It was a giant house because their, so their house had burned, their, their old house had burned down. This was in Carlsbad. And so they built this giant new house. It was huge. It's like they were so white that their house got burned down and they leveled up. That's privilege. <laughs> that's true. That's it's trying to. That's a totally true story. It's like most families, your house burned down, you're screwed. But you know, some families have so much. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be white privilege, but so much financial security that it's like, okay, well, cool. Now we can do. Now we can build our dream home. Yeah. Well, I lived there. That was kind of weird. But I was also like kind of weird about. I don't know. I was just. I was nineteen. Was living on. I was living on my own. Yeah. And I was. What was your diet back then? Eating a lot of (laughs) eating a lot of frozen food, spaghetti. No, so it hasn't changed. And uh, eating out, Jack in the Box. A lot of Jack in the Box. Remember when you could get two tacos for ninety nine cents? Yeah, you get two tacos and a and a jumbo jack and a student coke for two fourteen. There you go. If you wanted to go real crazy, you get a jumbo jack, a chicken sandwich, and two tacos and a student coke for three twenty. Well, let's talk about that. Like depression wise, socially, that's like you go from leaving school, leaving high school to college. Establishing community in college. Yeah, I made and a ton of new friends, out. and then that got taken away. That sucks. I was You're meeting cool friends too. Yeah, people that would go on to, you know, be a part of your life for decades. Yeah, like people that I met at Biola, I'm still friends with. So, um, but like that was really hard. So it was a hard time, and I wasn't getting the help I should have gotten. I definitely wasn't getting the help I should have gotten. So I was like, but I never. I don't remember feeling like suicidal. Did they have like counseling services at Biola, but it's just like, yeah. You should pray more. I mean, I never went, so I don't know. Yeah, I know people that did, and they said it was good. So they had a really good psychology program at Biola. So what would it have been like if it's like, hey, Christian college? I think I'm gay. Well, that would have been like you're getting kicked out of school. So not that great. <laughs> But no electroshock therapy. No. That you know of. Um, but, like, I... I was working at a... Radio Shack. Circuit City. Circuit City. In the warehouse. Because I had previously worked at Target, but quit in protest because they forced me to work on Sundays. That was a religious protest? Yeah. 
or a lazy man protest? Both. Because you're like, man, I should get, should gotten a job. If you wanted to not work on Sundays, you could have gotten a job uh, at Chick Fil A. That had a reach. We didn't have Chick Fil A in California yet. Yeah, you just didn't want to work weekends, and you you put that one on. I worked on Saturday. <laughs> we went some weekends. It's rough. But didn't you also get, like, workman's comp there? You got, like, concussed Oh, well, um, that happened in the new year. That happened, like, shortly after the new year. Happy New Year. Here's a 40-inch on your head. I fell off a ladder in a TV stand. It was a TV stand. Ah. In a box. Fell on my head. Ouch. Yeah, and I got a concussion, and Mom had to come. And I was scared that she was going to find out that I was smoking, so I hid my... I remember I had a, I had a really nice Zippo lighter with my initials on it and, uh, and my cigarettes, and I threw them away. <laughs> and you never smoked again. <laughs> right, Mom? Yeah, so... But working at the Circuit City Warehouse, that was a fun job, but it was kind of a rough job. Was it like 40-year-old virgin? Did you have, like, poker nights after work? I mean, no. No. But it was like, it was just, like, when there wasn't a truck to unload or, like, stuff to do, it just kind of was, like, really chill. Like, I remember, like, building a little nest in the stacks of boxes and, like, sleeping. That's nice. You were nesting. Yeah. And, like, uh, driving the... It wasn't I mean, a forklift. It's not like you had internet like on your phone, so no. like you could just that's what we did. We just build nests and slept through the, the work day. <laughs> I did that when I was uh well this was later, this was like oh six when I was an online academic advisor, which was like a new field and so no one knew how not hard it was. So they would have uh, our workload be like the same as like on campus advisors and like during the non-busy seasons, there was like this space between our cubicle walls and the windows to downtown San Francisco, and I called it Sunshine Alley, and I had a yoga mat that I never used for yoga, um, <laughs> but uh, I would go back there and nap in Sunshine Alley. And then as I remember being in like my 20s and being like, this sucks, man. Getting paid to do nothing, and then like the recession hit, and I moved and couldn't get a job. I was like, man, why did I quit my job doing nothing? <laughs> Life. When did you move? When was the recession? What are you talking? Uh, when I moved to Portland. Oh yeah. During the the previous recession. You ended up working at Netflix. Ended up working at the Olive Garden. Before I worked at Netflix. Oh man, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I was a busboy at the Olive Garden for right. just like a couple months, and I'll never forget this. This was like one, of, like a long. It was like ten years ago. Everybody's got to do their time and food service, I guess. Right? Well, I mean, I'd done it. You know, I was a <coughs> server at a pool hall in Wisconsin. I'd oh yeah, life. It's Cold Stone Creamery. That's food service. Uh, you know, what's cool about the movie theater gig is if you were responsible you could you could rise above food service it was like you start out cleaning up garbage as an usher and then if uh you know you're you're not a stoner they they put you behind a cash register for concessions 
and then you can get out of food if you your drawer is clean you can get into the box office and if your drawer is clean in the box office and they think you're not a, a, a mess up an F up they're like why don't you try projections and that's how I got there so that's like the highest level yeah it's like drive through a Burger King that's the highest level yeah because it could go bad. It did go bad. I spilled an entire print of American Pie on the floor because I oh, started sure. it and the collector plate didn't collect it. And film, there's like hundreds of yards of film, you know, when it was film and not digital. Um, and so, like, I started the movie, walked away, and then an hour later, the movie was still playing. So it wasn't like anyone for the audience, was like, something weird's going on because it played. It just was like. <sighs> What'd you do? Up to my knees and Jason Biggs and Shannon Elizabeth and Stifler's mom. What'd you do? Ugh, I kind of freaked out and then the assistant manager was cool and kind of, you know, they had to cancel the next showing. So my apologies in what was probably the fall, it was late summer, it was towards the end of the run. They hadn't sold a lot of tickets. If you were, if you had tickets to the Delmar Highlands 8 to that show in America by that I got canceled, I apologize. I will buy you a movie pass, but... I survived. They didn't even move me out of the projections after that. I thought the coolest thing was you had to build the movie, like put the trailers on it and stuff, and you had to test it. So we got to watch some of the movies early. Those were great times. I, you know, signed myself out of econ and, you know, skipped class to watch a sneak peek of Fight Club with Chris Norgard. And I had a fake ID, so I bought like some, like, probably like some sky vodka or something weird <laughs> and so we we ditched econ to watch fight club and man when you're 18 17 you see fight club it we watched fight club minds. a lot that's i remember watching fight club with you like at least four or five and i was a projectionist and edward norton slash brad pitt's character was a projectionist and so like oh yeah and you even like they cut out the dicks and put it into film and they flashed it so i had cut out the dicks for, uh, you know, to plant in another movie because I was like, yeah, Project Mayhem. And I wasn't going to start a fight club, but I was all about, like, you know, putting dicks in children's movies. But luckily, I got suspended uh, before I got a chance to do that. I got suspended from that job because two of the assistant managers got me so stoned that I had a panic attack. I thought I was dead. <laughs> and so it was such a crazy... Like, I was so bonkers that people were talking about it so much that word got up to the manager. And so those two assistant managers got fired. But they were like, Carson, you're suspended, but, you know, we really need you because you're the kind of the only one who can do the projections in the fall because everyone else has to go back to school. But, you know, I was in, I wasn't 18, but I was in the work experience class so we could get credit for doing work experience. Yeah. So like you can you can do that if when you come back after we suspend you for getting high with your managers. <laughs> and I was like, well, that sounds cool. And like, and also since everyone's going back to school, um, you have to close down concessions, do the last cleans, and close out the box office. And I was like, whoa. The best part of being the projectionist is you don't have to do all that shit. Am I going to get more money? And they're like, no. This is Edward Cinema. Uh, if you don't want to do it, we'll find someone else who will. I was like, cool, find someone else. I'm going to work at Coldstone with my friends and masturbate in the blast freezer. And I did. <laughs> Shout out to Judd and Jesse. <laughs> yeah, 
we creamed in the Cold Stone freezer. Anyway, I had a lot of odd jobs in high school. I had like three jobs before the end of my high school career. Did you work at worked at Video Vault or Mervins? Worked or at Marshalls for Marshalls. like a week, and then I walked out because my friend Mark was like, "Hey, you want to go to San Francisco?" I'm like, "I'm working, dude." But this sucks, so I walked out in the middle of my break. <laughs> Let's go to San Francisco. I needed to. I think that trip changed my life. Because then I went, took a trip to the Bay Area. Because you were going to go to Santa Barbara City College. That was the plan. And then I got kidnapped by Mark Gregg to go to San Francisco for the millennium. Just couple of 17, 18 year olds. Stole the Kelford's video camera, much to my chagrin. Borrowed it. Borrowed it. They got it back. I went completely insane. We used it to film a Porter's Head music video. I like we entered begged you contest. not to take the camera and you were like, I'm taking this camera. I don't know why I just, I don't know, punch you or something. I don't know why I agreed. I was just, you know what? We were, we were artists. We were on a mission. And um, we got some really good shots of Mark looking moody on the Golden Gate Bridge and on Hate Street. So it was worth it. Did we win that film contest sponsored by the San Diego Film Commission? No. Our classmates who did a video to the that da 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 song that I already mentioned uh, won. And I was devastated. So. You worked at Olive Garden? Yeah, I worked at Olive Garden. I saw Greg Odin eating at the Olive Garden. Former number one draft pick. Trailblazers injury-riddled center. I was like, why is he the Olive Garden? I was like, oh yeah, he's like 18. He's like 19. <laughs> can't, can't go anywhere cool. So he, he, he took his, his friends to the Olive Garden. And um, as a busboy, I provided those breadsticks. Nice. I very quickly learned that those breadsticks, unless you consume them within 90 seconds of them or being removed from the oven, taste like garbage. Because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, cool, wait, so we could just take home extra breadsticks at the end of the night? And people are like, oh, you must be new. Um, they don't They don't age well. <laughs> so if you're thinking about, you know, post-mating... One of your favorite, you know, guilty pleasure spots. And if that's Olive Garden, because you're like, oh man, they're going to bring bring the breadsticks to my door. Don't do it. You'll be disappointed. Be very disappointed. Yes, you can reheat them. But they're going to get dried out. You have to like sprinkle water on them if you do that. It's not worth it. Trust me. Those breadsticks are good though. Just, just consume them on the premises. I knew somebody that got that when they had that Olive Garden car where you could eat there every day for like a month. And it's like all you can eat for a month. Of heart disease. They're doing okay. Good for them. But yeah, I mean... So I had... In college. I had had my first panic attack in college. In college? Yeah, it was during finals week, 1998. Was it for Latin? It was... I just... Flipped out. I had too much to do. I hadn't gotten any sleep. And I just bugged out. And Phil talked me down. I remember Phil and Steve talked me down. 
that I had like a complete panic attack. It was the first time, and I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was dying. That's what happened to me when my assistant managers had me smoking out of a, he was a homemade Tupperware bomb. <laughs> and I had smoked like once, maybe, but yeah. You had I, some I, bad weed experiences in high school. Yeah, it kept me off of drugs all through college, surprisingly. Not even going to Berkeley could get me back on drugs. Because I would, I, would, I would lose my shit. I, I would think I was dead, and then uh, I will be like... Well, I heard a story, you like this. fell in a pool, or you jumped in a pool. No, I I will get so stoned, I would convince my brain to that trick where it's like, You're, this, this isn't real, nothing's real. Here, I'll prove it, and my brain will do like, prove it to you. Uh, try walking on water. And I'll be like, all right, this is not real. And I am so stoned that I killed myself because I could hear. Yeah. Try and walk on water, and boom, now my fake ID that cost me $70 is ruined because I thought I was Jesus and tried to walk on water. Fake ID got me into a lot of fun places. Got me into Fumari. Fumari was awesome. It was a hookah bar, but like. That was like the first hookah bar I'd ever seen or been to. It's downtown. I think it's still there. It's on 4th and G. Um, bought a lot of 40s for friends who... People who I wanted to be my friends. So I'm like, hey, cool skater friends that are friends of friends. I know you guys like a party. I got a fake ID. So like, yeah, go pick us up some stuff. And they would... The total typical, like... <laughs> fake ID beer run is like, yes, hello, liquor store clerk. Me and my adult friends would, uh, would like um, four 40s of Mickey's, um, two um, Old English, and uh, one Boone's Farm. We're having an adult party. This is what <laughs> adults drink. <laughs> but I remember the first time I used this fake ID... <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even card me. I was just kind of like, oh, what a rip. What a rip. And I also remember the the last time I used my fake ID, like right before I turned 21, is, is, is you know, I, I guess that it was a sense of, uh, you know, melancholy, you know, a bittersweet longing of the past because if you have a fake ID and you turn 21, you don't need that fake ID anymore. And then it, then whenever you buy alcohol from then on, you're just someone who likes to drink. You're not like some young punk fucking the system getting your booze on when you're not allowed to. So like that thrill is removed from the equation. I never had a fake ID. We had a, I had adults that I knew buy me alcohol. You had sugar daddies? Those people that worked at Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the if you want alcohol and you're a teenager, don't. But... You know, if you have some older friends, work friends, who have DUIs and you have a car, there can be arrangements made. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we didn't do a lot of drinking in high school. No. And then... So we um, had to spend tens of thousands of dollars on college to do our drinking. <laughs> but, um... I... Was... So, like, I was working at the Circuit City in the warehouse. I remember I worked the day before um, New Year's Eve 1999, and there were people like, I gotta leave early, and Lenny's gonna hit, like, Y2K, why, like, because people were scared about Y2K. That's right. There was a whole big buzz. Like, that 
like people were like, we shouldn't even be at work right now. We should be hunkering down. Well, that was kind of the thing. It was kind of thrilling because like, what if everything goes crazy and me and Dustin, Dustin is always there, and Mark are in San Francisco and everything's good. But it, it happened. We were at Fisherman's Wharf and nothing happened. Yeah. And then everyone went home really fast. And this is what we learned, is people, especially like those big like downtown gatherings, people like, woo, and then they left, see people left, and there was like, a, uh, you know, a, a whole seafront uh, populated with half-drinking bottles of champagne. <laughs> so we went, you know, like little like, little, like vultures. <laughs> That's so gross. Because <laughs> we, we, we didn't even have a... We had places... To, like, we stayed at the Reardon's a couple nights. We stayed at Mark's sister's place for a couple of nights. We... Then we were kind of like... Didn't you homeless. sleep on the bar? Well, that was the thing. is because we were like, Hey, guys. Uh, the bar train's running 24 hours on New Year's. Let's just sleep on BART. So that was our whole... That was our genius plan. Was we're going to go downtown. We're going to... Yeah. And then we're just going to sleep on BART. And we did. And we had champagne hangovers. And we woke up on the bar, croggy-eyed. And it was beautiful. But, I mean, that changed my life. That trip changed my life. Because it was like running around the East Bay, running around San Francisco. I had just read On the Road. I was into the beats. You know, you know the beat generation. And I was like, I need to be in San Francisco. I'm going to study creative writing. I'm going to be an English professor. So this is what has to happen. And that's how I didn't make it to Santa Barbara. <laughs> Just went further north and wanted to pay a lot more for rent um, as a student. And so when I became a Golden Gator, San Francisco State, the Gators, the Golden Gators, get it? Um, and yeah, that's, that's that trip was like what brought me to the Bay Area where I lived for like the better part of 10 years. Spent my most of my 20s there. Loved it. I went back to, I made it back to Biola and got a little bubble I made it back, but I remember because I was still concussed and everything, Phil and Matt and Steve came down and helped me move out of the Kelfords. How long did Biola Round 2 last? One semester. One semester. What happened that semester? Oh, man, I didn't do so hot. And and I ran out of money again. But I lost my funding. But I got an F in Acts class. The Bible book of Acts? Yeah. <laughs> How do you get an F? You just don't go? No, I, I, I went. I just didn't. I don't know, it was like, the tests were really hard, and I didn't study, and it was kind of... So you failed out of Bible college. Well, I got one F, and then I got a, I got like a D plus in nature of math, because I didn't go. You were too busy wandering around the sewers. <laughs> that, that semester, I think I was depressed, because I would just... I mean, you don't... Sleep a lot. Yeah, you're, you're not... I mean... Well, you got decent grades, but... That's an anomaly. I just sleep a lot and... Um, go out. 
with Phil and Matt and got a lot of concerts and we had You were the bad boy. Went to a ton of concerts. Went to a lot of uh live audience tapings. Yeah, I did that. You were spending too much time on the Roseanne show as an audience member? That was like one week. But that was good money. Yeah. For college kids. Yeah, you know, like five hundred bucks. See, I knew I wanted to transfer, and so I was like, if I wanted to to get out of San Francisco State, couldn't have any grade slip-ups. I was also very thankful of the classes. I, I was an expert at identifying I could get good grades in these classes. I would have my ear to the ground on, like, which classes were hard. And, like, I also realized, like, hold on, I'm taking creative writing classes. I realized the teachers... In uh, in a scholastic environment for a creative art, they don't want to be like your writing is is F level writing or C level writing. They want to be nourishing and like you know positive and enable and not like break down your ego. So most of these classes that were like creative writing, short story one, playwriting, were like if you turn in the work and show up to class and show effort, you'll get an A minus. If you're good, you'll get an A. But it was just all about, well, if you don't show up to class or you do stuff late, that gives me an objective reason to downgrade you. And so if you just had to be on top of it. Which I had a lot of bandwidth to do because I took a lot of creative writing classes. Yeah, I... I don't know. I wasn't really into college... I never was really into it. I just did it because I had felt like I had to. This kind of thing is like. I remember even talking to like grandpa about. It's it like, well, you know, college is there because outside of the military, there there's not really a safe place for young men of your age. <laughs> it's kind of, there's kind of truth to that. Yeah, it's like no, I'm reading. Let's brag, you know. But I've been reading the new Jim Crow, and it talks a lot about, like, mass incarceration and kind of the, you know, the false premise of, like, you know, violent crime. But when, you know, when sociologists have really taken a look at, like, spikes in violent crime, there's usually a conflagration of, uh, like, for example, like, violent crime in the 80s, there's a whole bunch of, like, you know, baby boomer aged men between the violent ages of like 17 and 25 was like when there's a critical mass of men between the age of 18 and 25 this is the violent crime of the 70s um it's if there's a bad economy and there's bored men between the age of 18 and 25 there's going to be violent crime like just like this just like kind of a, a facet of you know I guess testosterone being toxic. Mm-hmm. So that's what has me scared. It's like about these recessions and things like that. Is if you know, you hear about every year less and less men going to college, and if the you know economy is worse and worse, and there's not you know blue collar jobs, worker jobs, and there's just lazy proud boys out there who have nothing better to do than go shoot up an anti, you know, fascist protest. You know that's that's problems, man. Yeah. So, you know, you're in peak, you know, dangerous age of like, well, you know, I'm trying to find a way to be useful in this world and giving college a shot and it's not going great. 
Yeah, I was getting pretty frustrated and I was having panic attacks, but I wasn't getting the help because, like, I don't know. Just so you mentioned the first one. You know what triggered that first one? Just finals week, just an accumulation? Yeah, just the stress. But you would get them again? Yeah, just, I would just get them because I was just feeling stressed or really depressed or just to get really anxious, having to, like, deal with, like, school and living on my own and and then, like, um, I don't know, pressure and, like, trying to be a good Christian and trying to be, like, I wanted to be a youth pastor. Yeah, but also, like, coming in terms of the whole, wait, is this what life is? Yeah. Like, you know, I guess in your head you're like, oh, you know, I want to be a youth pastor, go to Christian school, have a program, it's going to be easy, do an internship in the summer, and then I'll just have my own congregation. And then you realize... It doesn't work that way, necessarily. Yeah, it's competitive. Well, plus, it's very competitive, and also, like, working, and then also, like, I had my first taste of working at a church, and that, that can suck balls. Yeah, working for the church, I can only imagine. Because we had, I remember, um, while I was, that, that, that year, Mike got fired from Canyon Hills. Oh, from Canyon Hills? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, like, a mess. And I was like, because I was helping out, I was helping Mike out, and that was like my dream, like helping out Mike, and everything was good. And then like get fired from Canyon Hills because the pastor didn't like. And it was like, remember the last? Remember, I'll put his name of Pastor Bob, terrible tipper. I babysat him for his kids, paid terribly, terrible wages. I was like, oh well, you know, he's probably <laughs> gonna be, you know, give a good Christian. No, didn't tip shit. Kids are weird too. They put themselves to bed. <laughs> well, the last straw I remember was he didn't. He thought Mike was too outreach oriented, which for a church it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? That's exactly what I mean. It's like you're here to babysit the church members' kids, not to create a fun, safe space for them to mingle with these heathens. Yeah. Well, there was a Mike had let um, Max set up a skate park in the parking lot. And that really... Alright. I love me some Matt, <laughs> but I think Pastor Bob was on the right track here. That was if, good. It was a good thing. If some, some weird 22-year-old wants to set up a skate park to hang out with high schoolers in your church parking lot, I think you should have the leeway to be like, maybe that's not a great idea. He just didn't like the skater kids. It wasn't even that. What about the insurance liability? I don't know. But that wasn't, I don't know, but they didn't like that Mike, I remember there was a lot of hubbub, Mike took us to R-rated movies. We stopped that in in the Salon Beach Press days. Oh. Maybe. Then like going to Not Scary Farm, just that kind of stuff. That stuff is great, man. You get touched by people there. <laughs> people are scared. Oh. I'm sad there's no Not Scary Farmer Howling Horror Nights this year. Well, you're in Oregon, so it would have been a long trek. Well, other haunt, they have haunted attractions here. They're not the same, man. I saw one on the news. A corn maze. I saw one on the news where you just, like, drive into a garage and, like, you stay in your car. It's, like, COVID safe and, like, people just come up to your car. It didn't look very scary. That sounds like 
A bad car wash. Yeah. But yeah, dude, you're getting the panic attacks. Because I... There was a period where I did get... I did go back on medication. That was, like, my when I just started Biola. And then, like, I think I stopped again for some reason. Probably because... Student insurance? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I was still on mom's insurance, but there was, like, some... That was harder to do back then. Yeah. Yeah. It was just... I was also, like, lazy and dealing with... Like, I'm, I'm 18. I don't know. I don't want to fill out forms and do all that like because like getting mental health you like have to like get seen by a primary care doctor get a referral referral, and then go answer a million questions and and then get and then it's just like a lot and so um so i didn't want to deal i didn't deal with that very well and yeah i mean does your college i mean you finish college eventually, but not really. <laughs> well, I, I, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree. From a nationally accredited university. Yeah. And here's the thing. I work in college admissions. You always ask, is this accredited? All degrees are accredited. The problem is there's two major accrediting boards. Well, there's really just one. Regional accreditation is what you want. If you're thinking about college, repeat after me. Is your school regionally accredited? If they say no, we are nationally accredited, you may think in yourself, hmm, national. That sounds pretty good. Sounds it's better. Bad. <laughs> it's not good. National credits don't transfer to regional schools, which for some cases that's fine. But most say schools. you have a bachelor's degree from a nationally accredited school. That's awesome, but you want to go to graduate school anywhere a regionally accredited university, you're shrewd. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. Yeah. But I don't know if I could handle going back to school anyways. I think about it sometimes. I yeah. tried to go to when I was when I was um I work in transfer missions. I could hook you up. After I got laid off from WebSense and I was moved to Ukaipa, um I was I was thinking about going back to school and I tried to go to DeVry, um, their grad also school. also nationally accredited. No, but, Stay away! No, there was a, their grad school, they wouldn't take my credits. I made it all the way to, like, I was, like, filling out my FAFSA and shit, like, there. No, mm. and And then they were like, oh, we have a problem with your transcripts. I was like, what do you mean? And I thought it was, like, something from, like, my Cypress College or and we're like, oh yeah, your bachelor's degree is a nationally accredited school, and we don't take those credits. When did you know about your nationally accredited <clears throat> degree? Was it not until then? I didn't think about it till then. I think I had heard about like accreditation, but I was like, I thought national. That national is better than regional. It, it, Nobody it, told it, me. I work at, I've been working in missions for so long. I've been the person countless times. To tell students, oh, you want to transfer here? I'm sorry. These credits are non-transferable. And they're like, they're first like, what do, and I have to tell them, it's not, it's not us. Any regionally accredited school will tell you the same thing. Now, it's not always the end of the world. Um, some schools have pathways where you can take exams to restore credits. After you take a year, you can petition course by course. So it's not the end of the road. 
but it, it's shitty. And in your case, it's yes, you have national credits, but you also have a bulk of non-national uh, credits from Biola, from Palomar. Palomar, Cyprus. From Cyprus. So, I yeah. took a ton of computer information systems classes at, at Cyprus, like programming and stuff like that. You should send your transcripts to where I work. We'll hook you up. I can't afford another degree. And that's why we get people to pay for it. <laughs> we have a GoFundMe. It sends you back to college, man. I don't know what I'd do with it. I don't even know. Well, it's what a good backup plan. You want to have those credits evaluated to know where you're standing, because what if, you know, you're out of work again? At least if you're back in school, you might have some source of funding. Anyway. This has been School Talk with Carson and Brendo. Dude, I'm like one of the foremost college transfer admissions experts in the country. Trust me. Not a lot of us. So what was your senior year? was your senior year of high school. You're running around, going to San Francisco, going making San mom Francisco, go crazy. No longer running around naked. Yeah, but mom year. got a call, another nightmare call, from... It was like a homeless shelter in San Francisco. That I lost found I your, my wallet in Blondie's in downtown Berkeley. Found your ID, so mom's like, I get this phone call. It was like, it was like Frank Costanza. Your brother, this is your mom. Your brother might be dead. Call back. <laughs> that was my mom? That was mom? Yeah. Mom sounds like Frank Costanza. Well, just, this is, George is dead. Call him the, Got it. the George is dead call. Yeah, yeah. I remember getting it was a very brief message, it's and I was like, "Holy shit!" Spot. So my mom got picked up, and then got taken to a shelter. I eventually was reunited with my wallet, uh, short some cash, but hey, you know the street take that. You know, got to give some back to the street. I appreciate that. I was glad to have my wallet back. Because I had some stills that I had removed from some films in there that I'm glad I had. Had my Mammoth Mountain sticker on that. I love that wallet. I can picture that. was like the wallet I had from like middle school until like college. I had a No Fear wallet that was like, it was like, looked like flannel. It was like made out as like, it was like yarn material. And it got pickpocketed in, in, in France. And the thing that makes me the most mad about that was it had my it had dad's AMC movie watchers card that had all that points on it. So you were illegally using his points? Yeah. Also it was also just like a family heirloom. It was dad's movie watcher card. That was cool. Cinema was important to us. If only dad had lived to nineteen ninety nine, the greatest film year in history. Matrix, Galaxy Quest, so many good movies. Batman Forever, and that was 95. Uh, I don't know what I'm thinking. Being John Malkovich, American Beauty. American Beauty. um, Sixth Sense. Yeah. Go. Ten Things I Hate About You, She's All That. Even the bad movies are good. American Pie, Blair Witch. I always saw Blair Witch earlier. 
we saw it in the winter and it was so low underground. I remember watching Blair Witch and we, I was staying, I was still, it was the winter because I hadn't, I don't know why, I was, it was, it must have been Christmas time or something or, because I was home. Yeah, we saw it in La Jolla. And I, because we, I remember we stayed, I stayed, I was sleeping with you and we slept with the lights on. Well, I know you were still in college because some of your other friends, I think it was Ryan Phillips, was like at UCLA or was at one of the schools or one of the, like the pre-internet the, viral... They did the viral screening. Yeah, they did a viral screening and didn't tell... They, they were like, this is a documentary, kids, just yeah. to get the word out. And so like that word of mouth worked because... Well, then there was the website that also the, looked real. You leave the theater like, wait, is it real? And, and there's like, oh, no, my, my buddy's friend had a saw in college. It's a real deal. Yeah. And I remember sleeping with the lights on because we were scared. You always slept with the lights on. Not with you in the room. Usually I could sleep with if somebody else in the room, I could have the lights off. My parts would keep you safe. But you did not object to having the lights on. No. That was a scary <laughs> movie. What was, what was she doing facing the wall? Did you watch the new one? No. I watched it with Phil. I was scared the whole time, and then it was dumb. The ending was dumb. Dumb. But the build-up to the ending was scary. I don't know. It scared me. I don't, I'm don't. i a wuss when it comes to scary movies. I'm a giant wuss. I've known that since the um, TV miniseries Stephen King's It. Although we didn't watch that by ourselves. At the far. It's left alone. It's our, it was probably at a Freemasons meeting or something. Yeah. Well, man. I mean, what was your what was your brightest spot from the millennium? Well, I did like going up, visiting, driving up to Biola, and being able to hang out there, not being a student, and just hanging out and having fun with Phil and everybody, going to concerts. Yeah, this college thing is great when I'm not going to class. Yeah. Well, I mean, on my way to college, I just remember. Um, Mom moved from San Diego to Wisconsin, and then Grandpa came out and put a bunch of her stuff in a U-Haul, and he was in a U-Haul trailer, and I was driving Mom's minivan from San Diego to Wisconsin, and I didn't have a cell phone, Grandpa didn't have a cell phone, this was, this was you know, 2000, and uh, right around Wyoming, I lost him. I was like half awake, and I was like, what, what's going on? See in front of me or behind me? And I didn't see him again until I got to Wisconsin. So I was driving across the country by myself. That must have been nuts. Because I did it by myself and I that was a crazy drive. That was a crazy trip. But like in a but just driving by yourself and you did it like really fast. I was like eighteen. I remember like I was like had a pack of cigarettes, but I got to Utah and in Utah you had to be like nineteen or twenty one <coughs> to get a did you just give me COVID? No. I covered my nose. With your hands. You're supposed to... Man. Go wash your hands before we finish this podcast. Just kidding. But anyway, yeah, man. That was a highlight. Was, you know, that, that kind of road trip of self-discovery. That summer, I did my internship in Sacramento while you guys were moving to Wisconsin. And I got to Wisconsin. Met a neighborhood kid. Took me to his weird friend's house. His friend was a much older man. And there were like some other young teenagers there smoking weed. And the guy, this kid was like, if I was 18, he was maybe 16, if that. He's like, you should be from California. And this is, 
it says Stoughton, Wisconsin. And yeah. this, this, this 16-year-old's like, so where are you? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Bloods or Crips? <laughs> this guy was like, repping the Bloods in Wisconsin. <laughs> he was like, this is my girlfriend, Raven. She's dying. I'm like, what? This is crazy. Is it just people you met in mom's apartment complex? Just like in the neighborhood, yeah. Just like, just cruising. Looking, yes, you do. You move into a new place, you look for the new kids on the block. And I, was just I like, didn't do that. I should have done that. It's too weird, man. There's like pot, old old dude smoking pot with teenagers on a waterbed. Could have been anywhere. Um, but I remember, like, as I'm meeting all of these, this is like my first night there. I see fireflies for the first time. I'm like, ah, cool. Your girlfriend, Raven, what's her name? She's dying, dying of what? Whoa, fireflies! We don't have these where I'm from! Is it true you can peel their butts off and stick them on your face? That was a Mr. Weber story. But anyway, yeah. I spent the millennium, San Diego, San Francisco, all the way to Wisconsin. And by the end of it, I was living San Francisco. I ended up driving to Wisconsin. I remember I was came to the realization while I was doing my internship. I was at it working at a summer camp in Yosemite. I was a dishwasher. It was like the end of my internship. They didn't have anything for me to do, so they sent me off to the summer camp that needed to wash Christian kids' dishes. Wash their fucking dishes. It was real shitty. You didn't get paid to do that. No. Wow. <laughs> So it's not like they hire, like, you know... So, like, the church used internship labor to wash dishes. Yeah. In the name of God. That's so shitty. But That's this like was, like... the shittiest college internship ever. And this was, like, a sleepaway camp, so they were there for, like, weeks. And you were, like, commuting in just to wash dishes? Well, I, I stayed there for... I, I came in... Did you get to, like, pray with the kids? I mean, they you participate participate in, like, in some of the camp events, yeah, like the nighttime games and stuff. Because I lived at the camp. You're just like, but do the kids like know you as the dishwasher? <laughs> yeah. Doing it for Jesus, scrubbed up dub. But it was while I was there that I realized I'm like I can go back to La Mirada and live in a house with eight people. And work a minimum wage job and maybe go to community college again and give that a whirl. Or I can go live with mom and hit the reset button. And you chose reset. Yeah. Well, sure, that made mom happy. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember asking her, like, can I come live with you? And there was no hesitation. She was like, yes. I had a room. She had my room already and... So, ended up moving back in with mom, living in Wisconsin in the year 2000, and it got really cold really fast, and that was, I became slightly suicidal. It's the winter. Yeah. Well, winter's upon us. Winter is coming. But I worked at a video store, that was cool. Yeah, man. I worked at a video store too. I modeled it after. I, I, that's like like Carson liked working at a video store. I'm gonna work at a video store. You gotta be careful though. If you have an adult section, we didn't. 
we did. And it was one of the, this is one of the unfortunate stories. Is like, oh, we had the NC seventeen stuff. We had a couple. No, we had blue tags. Blue tags was the separate adults only. And one day this guy comes up with a blue tag, and I look up, and it's one of Dad's coworkers. Hey, he told this story. It's crazy. That's a good story. But that's the last thing I'm sure he wanted to see. <laughs> Wasn't the porn in the vault a video vault? No, the children's section was. Oh, okay. It was just a side room. Yeah, we had, like... The video store video vault was an old bank. I think the at the movie gallery where I worked, the most risque thing we had, we had a couple Playboy videos. Whoa! Whoa, we whoa, whoa. The worst was when they would rent it and then return it within an hour. You're like, whoa, whoa. But I remember even those, I, every once in a while this happened, at least once a week someone would come in and be like, I can't believe you rent this filth. I'm never renting here again. <laughs> I'd be like, see you later. Speaking of filth, what are you watching this week? Well, um... Or this past week. We wanted to talk about uh, Lovecraft Country. We've been watching it. We haven't talked about it yet. We haven't? No. It's great. It's really good. In these last few episodes, like this last, like I would say like the last three or four episodes are really, really, really good. I tell you what, if you want to do yourself a favor and really take a look at <laughs> this country, do what I did. Be like me. Uh, I watched Lovecraft. I haven't finished it yet because the series finale is there, but uh, on this road trip, I, I hate traveling without a book. So I picked up the Lovecraft country novel. Oh, finished yeah. it. Loved it. Maybe. Is it like the show? It's very It's almost the same storyline. It's not exactly the same, but it was great. So much so it enriched the, my experience of the show. But I combined, you know, Lovecraft Country is great because it 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 merges, you know, a Lovecraftian world of monsters and magic with the real world of nineteen fifties, you know, Jim Crow racism, and the kind of genius of it is. There's these really horrific monsters and evil warlocks and shit, but they're not as frightening as the specter of white supremacy. And so it's really topical. And so I finished reading that and also picked up The New Jim Crow, which I mentioned earlier, which is a nonfiction work about, you know, kind of, you know, the thralls of mass incarceration um, and how the rate at which black and brown Americans specifically, um, you know, are incarcerated is so disproportionate and the way the system is set up to be like, it's not race that's put on there, it's crime. It just really is the next evolution of slavery because you can trace slavery to Jim Crow, to civil rights, to mass incarceration, war on drugs to mass incarceration. It's just, a, it's just, it's the monster that is at the heart of Lovecraft Country. So the, I think those two works, you know, if you really want to, you know, take a deep dive into just fucking the horror of America in 2020. Yeah. Take a look at our history and take a look at, you know, what artists, you know, now um, are saying about it. Yeah, it's really good. The country's really good. I have to watch the last episode. We started watching it. Then we're going to do this podcast. 
for um, the listeners. I watched Hubie Halloween. I heard about that. It's Adam Sandler. If you like Adam Sandler movies, I thought it was good. I mean, some people are like, this is terrible. Like, it's Adam Sandler. I don't know what you're... I don't know. Sometimes you get punch drunk love. Sometimes you get that racist one with the Mexican stuff in it. Oh, this was definitely better than that. I I, I, didn't, I didn't even watch that one. This one had a lot of throwbacks. There was a lot of f- former... If you've watched Adam Sandler movies, there was cast members from old Adam Sandler movies. A lot of show up. Um, <laughs> a lot of people whose entire IMDb's are Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> but like Steve Buscemi's back... They're, they're great goofballs together. I thought it was a fun Halloween movie, and it was You know, Adam Sandler and I hearted. share an acting teacher. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I had a Professor Mel Gordon who uh, taught at NYU when Sandler was there. And when I asked him, what was he like? He's like, he slept a lot during class. Because he was out going to Mike's. Yeah. He was hungry. I saw Sandler do stand-up when they were rehearsing for Funny People. It was pretty good. But he was doing it in his Funny People character. Ah. I love character-based stand-up. But anyway, yeah, man. That's what I've been up to. I, uh, while you were gone, you were on a... You just got back from a two-week trip. Sure did. You were in an RV. Yeah. No, I'm out of an RV. But I, uh, watched... And my balls have never smelled better. So I watched TV Halloween. I watched uh, I watched the last season of Curb. Oh! Finally got to watch that. the 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 season arc was the Spite Store. It was really great. Let me tell you that I, I I tell me I I will let you tell me. My favorite thing about that show is Leon. I still think Leon's the best thing about that show. And who would have thought, like, coming from that season with the Blacks, that goofy storyline, where Larry, like... Hold on, that season with the Blacks? Yeah, the the family of the Blacks. Oh, that's their name? Yeah. Oh, okay. His name is Leon Black. I, I just, you know, you just said, you're not everyone's getting your reference, but you just, like, that season with... He dated Vivica Fox, and she, and, and it was her, her net, her... I guess that was her nephew, Leon, and he just moves in, and then he stays with Larry for, like, the next five... That was, like, season six. Yeah. So Leon's just been staying at Larry's house for the last four seasons, and he's amazing. And J.B. Smoove... Are you my Leon? I think I am your Leon. I'm not... I'm lamping. I'm just lamping. But, um... J.B. Smoove... The... I can't believe, like, he didn't do, like, he was a writer at SNL, but, like, he never was in the cast. Like, he never did. Like, I can't believe they never saw that guy. We're like, let's put him in front of a camera. Like, that seems to me like a Lorne Michaels failure right there. Well, I mean, it's a tough job being a comedy tastemaker. But J.B. Smoove is very funny, and that season was very funny. There's an argument to be made that the people that were a part of SNL that didn't make it into front of the camera or who were very seldomly used did better than those who were. You could start with Julia Louise Dreyfus, Conan O'Brien, go from there. Julia Louise Dreyfus was on a lot. She was only was on. She? For, 
And the seasons, she's only on like a couple seasons, and they were like the bad seasons. She met her husband. Great. Great. But yeah. Oh, anything else fun? Uh, Bad Dad, Rad Dad? It's my favorite segment. It's a segment where I get to say something that makes me a bad dad. And Brendan gets to say something that makes me a rad dad. Um, my rad dad is that... Your dad's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Your rad dad? My rad dad for you? You're a rad dad because... Um, you go whole hog on whatever Lil is into, and she's recently gone from being super into unicorns to being super into dinosaurs. See, here's the thing. Was she really ever into unicorns? Or you or... just kind of made her into unicorns? Well, we, I, I guess we enabled it, but my wife and I met at a music festival on an online date. Uh, OkCupid was a platform where that old... Um, and when we... When my future wife got to the festival she's like where are you and i said oh uh meet me under that giant unicorn so we met underneath the unicorn therefore we have way too many unicorns and so when we had a child she got unicorns from everybody including us and then it's kind of like oh it's like kids who are yankees fans are you really into the yankees little kid but she's actually into dinosaurs. Yeah, because she, like, watched the Dinosaur Train show on PBS, and then I got her a pair of dino pajamas, and she got she gets really excited when she gets to wear her dino pajamas, and she invented a sign for dinosaur, or it's really a, more of a an act where she goes, chop, chop, and then stomps her foot. When she... It's very cute. It's very cute. That's I call it, That's her closer. She opens with hat. She has a sign right now. That's her closer is, is dinos. But yeah, so she's into dinos. And you like... So when you went on your trip, you went to a dinosaur park with all these... I mean, that's awesome. Dinosaur statues. Yeah, dinosaurs. It's like... It's like the dinosaurs from Peewee's Big Adventure or The Wizard on steroids. So many dinosaurs. She didn't get scared? No, she was the happiest she's ever been. Was she like, wow, dinosaurs? She was so excited. She, I mean, you could. there was like a bounce to her step. And we were like, ready to go see dinosaurs? And we got her a dinosaur backpack. That makes me bad. Uh, you know, we're older parents. Um, we spoil the shit out of that little girl. And it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, are we creating a monster? But, you know, we're going to have to turn off the golden faucet. But during a pandemic, when she doesn't have any kid friends, you know, I'm okay with spoiling her. You're not going nuts, O's. You're not buying her shit all the time. It was just kind of like, well, we got done. <laughs> you know, you go to a museum. How many times do you go to a museum and parents are like, cool, get get whatever you want? Yeah. How Was that a very frequent thing? No. <laughs> no. But it's like, we got done with a... 
the dino tours and it's like, oh, you want a backpack? Oh, I'm going back in because you need a magnet too and a sticker. I don't know. Maybe it's just being excited about being a parent. Well, the dinosaur backpack is really cool. It is. She loves it. She's walking around with her dino backpack. She's got a couple of new dino shirts. But I'm also responsible. You know, I got, I got her last dinosaur shirt, you know, at a thrift store, um, you know, in Elko, Nevada for like 30 cents. Well, I'm glad you're back. It's good to be back. I had a good... It was... I didn't get depressed or anything while you were gone, but it was just a little empty. Yeah. Not having bro time. And hanging out by myself. But I... You know... It was fine. I... I got people to hang out with, too. It's not like I didn't have anybody to hang out with, but I... You're not a loser. You're just depressed. I get, I get done with work, and I just kind of want to just crash out, you know? Yeah. Well, Crashly's got to crash. That was it for Chapter 7 in my book, bro. Yeah. Stay tuned next week. We'll be back with uh, Chapter 8, Even Rose City... Smells like poo-poo, poo-poo, even Rose City smells like poo-poo. Um, this is going to be an episode about, you know, hey, you know, in the timeline of the missing person, got him evacuated from the desert, we U-hauled it ass up to Portland, and we're here, but it's not like that's the end of the journey, and it's all roses in the Rose City. Um, so that's what we're going to chat about. Sound good to you, bro? Sounds good. Love you, bro. 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 You're not just saying that because it's the end of our podcast. No, I'm saying it because I mean it. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. Yeah.